G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. Previously, on Who Killed Leanne Holland. Well, first of all, she gave a completely different statement to what she told the police in the beginning. To the extent that it was prompted by showing her the photograph of the car of the accused man in this case. And I will direct you to disregard her evidence in that respect entirely. And they concluded one impression from the dump site was not identical or even similar to the tyres on the front axle of Graham Stafford's car. And the other impression was similar but not identical to the tyres on the rear axle of Graham Stafford's car. So we got a torch, went in the garage, looked underneath the car and you could see all the scratches where he took fallen off the jack. This was evidence of him creating an alibi and again telling lies. There were drops of Leanne's blood found on items in the boot of Graham Stafford's car. Looking at the blood evidence now, the presence of Leanne Holland's blood in the boot of the car I don't think is compelling because of the amount of blood. There is probably less than a drop of blood and that's not consistent with someone who was bludgeoned about the head and placed in the boot of that car for several days. The police haven't got it. Can you offer an explanation as to where it might be? Well, I haven't got it. Subsequently, that hammer went missing. A 610 Media Production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Chapter 8. Justice Framed. G'day, my name is Jamie Paltz and thanks for listening to Who Killed Leanne Holland. In the last four chapters, we have discussed the police case against Graham Stafford and the enormous amount of problems we found with it. In this chapter, we will cover the court proceedings to get to where we are today. This court process went on for some 17 years before Graham Stafford's conviction was overturned. We will also discuss the lengths the Queensland Police have gone to to prevent the release of the police review into this case, which concluded in 2012. The efforts to obtain that review continue to this day, as do the efforts by the Queensland Police to prevent its release. Today, my co-host Graham Crowley talks with criminal barrister Joe Crowley. Graham will be conducting the majority of the interviews in the upcoming chapters, as my wife and I prepare to have baby number three, so I'll be pretty busy. 
To refresh your memory, Joe is a Queensland barrister who has acted pro bono on behalf of Graham Stafford for some 15 years. He will guide you through the complicated court process to overturn a criminal conviction in Queensland. Well, g'day, Graham. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Jamie. And you? Yeah, really good, mate. Really good. Let's move on to Chapter 8, eh? Yep. We've got some feedback to discuss. Before we do that, uh, I was looking at some stats today and I thought you may be interested and I thought the uh, listeners may be interested. The majority of our listeners are in Australia, United States, United Kingdom, New Zealand and Canada in that order. But we also have listeners in Qatar, Iran, Pakistan, Poland, Tanzania, Bangladesh, Brazil, Bulgaria, Honduras, as well as others. Wow, that's amazing, eh? Yeah, it just goes around the world, mate. It's a, I, it's just, it is simply amazing. Yeah. Yeah, feel free to reach out to us and send us a social media uh, message or an email. We do read them. We read your reviews. We read your messages, your emails. We appreciate it. So, yeah, please send them in. Also, you can ask questions as well, and if we have time to answer them, we will. But we're going to share some feedback we've had with you now. So this one is from Jacinda and Mark. We had a podcast binge afternoon. Awesome, incredible amount of research done by Jamie and Graham. So much sadness towards Leanne and the stitch-up job done on Graham. What the hell? Well, thanks, Jacinda and Mark. Not sure who this one's from. I would like to know how Stafford car tire marks were found at the site where Leanne's body was found. Also, when bleaching hair, hair goes through stages depending on the pigment in a person's hair. Therefore, it is not surprising that Leanne's hair had red tones. Also, I thought I heard scientific evidence made by the uni say there was blood but was unable to be identified. This podcast does seem more about clearing Stafford's name. I'd like to um, answer that if I may, Jamie. Yeah. Mainly because there's so many questions in the one comment. The first comment uh, regarding the tyre marks found at the scene where Leanne's body was found, well, that's easy. Stafford's car tyre marks weren't found at the scene, as we covered in Chapter 7. Uh, and the witnesses who gave evidence clearly were not describing his vehicle. The second comment regarding the bleaching of the hair, we have not discussed bleaching, only hair dye. And that scenario was eliminated at the committal. I understand the police review uh, changes track and starts talking about bleaching hair, and uh, we talk about the police review in a later chapter. And I'm interested to know uh, where they went with that. Leanne's hair was blonde anyway, so bleaching it seems to me uh, to be unnecessary. The third comment uh, regarding uh, blood was found but unable to be identified, what can I say? Is that evidence against Graham Stafford or evidence that at some point in the 40-year history of that house, there had been blood in the bathroom? Lastly, the podcast seems more about clearing Stafford's name. We've stated on many occasions, and I'll say it again, this podcast is about identifying who killed Leanne Holland and to help force the Queensland Government to hold an inquest into her murder, an inquest that has never been held and by law must be held. If a coroner finds that Graham Stafford is the killer, so be it. Now, this one is from Rochelle Carpenter. The more you hear, the more you shake your head in disbelief. Totally agree. Now, Graham, this feedback is addressed to you, mate. So do you want to read it out? Sure. The comment is this. Graham, will you talk to those of us who think Stafford did it without prejudice and without bias, without trashing us as terrible people? Will you? 
Will you talk to those of us who knew Terry and understood why he knew Stafford murdered his child? Terry spoke to Leanne the day she was murdered. Leanne was not a liar, as you make out. Leanne told her father the truth when she said Stafford would bleach her hair. How can you live with yourself defending this person? How can you do this? Destroy a child. Call her a liar? Post this comment on your site and I'll give you my details and contact number as a matter of good faith. I still live in Goodna, as many of us do. We did post that comment in full on my webpage, provided an email address, but have never heard from old mate again. And for the record, I have never called Leanne Holland a liar and to my knowledge, no one else has ever called her a liar. I have no idea why he would even think that. I suspect that the commentator has a poor grasp of the evidence. And let's not forget that you were actually hired by the Stafford family to investigate and investigate is what you did. You didn't just wake up and decide who you're going to screw over today. (laughs) Correct. Moving on. As much as Leanne suffered an horrific death, it is negligent from those that are to serve and protect being the motto of our police force. I have issues that there are stones unturned and the serving requirement of the oath of being a police officer in this case is lacking. She might be dead, but she matters. This really isn't about Graham Stafford. This is about Leanne, a child and now forever a child because she didn't get the chance to become a woman. She has a chance to get justice if people do their jobs. Please think if this was your child and how you would feel. Would you want every stone inspected? Please find some justice for Leanne so she can rest in peace. Couldn't agree more, Jamie. The next one. Why are you allowing Graham Stafford to act as the lone voice for Leanne? No one is willing to speak for Leanne, so in the silence, Stafford fills the void. We do not agree with that comment at all. Um, I believe the podcast answers that question, and we do not propose to even point out the numerous people who have come out in support, not only of Graham Stafford, but this is a miscarriage of justice. Hi, I wondered if you'd like to consider making a comment regarding the comment by Leanne's friend where she labelled her as promiscuous. I know this was a belief held at the time, but I would hope that we have moved beyond that and come to a realisation that a 12-year-old who cannot legally give consent cannot be labelled this way. I was disappointed that this wasn't addressed in the episode. Thank you, Janelle Curry. Yeah, thanks for your feedback, Janelle, and you are right. A 12-year-old cannot give consent and shouldn't be labelled promiscuous. So thanks for your feedback. Okay, I have a question with regards to time of death. The scientist who researched the maggot has amended her opinion after re-examination following your discovery that the temperature given initially was incorrect. I watched Australian Story again as to time of death to Tuesday morning. Is this something you have researched further? Mr Stafford was at work that day, so other suspects would come into play. My position is this. I'm firmly of the opinion that death was most likely Tuesday, but at the very earliest, late Monday. The police reviewers apparently concluded it was shortly after 10.15am Monday and I can't wait to see how they arrive at that timing. Perhaps another reason they don't want the review released. This next one is from Karina Michelle. I just have to say, this has been an incredible podcast and I'm eagerly awaiting the next episode. My fingers and toes are crossed that this results in justice finally for young Leanne. Thanks. Yeah, really appreciate your feedback, Karina, and we hope so as well. I was asked a question about where where I stand in the podcast, uh, what my position is on the case, and they want to know my thoughts. Uh, well, basically, I'm on the fence. I don't really know where I stand at the moment. I hear the case on both sides. 
there's some things that cause concern for me, uh, such as the drive to Arthur Powers' house that Wednesday morning. Although it doesn't really prove anything, it just puts him in that general area on the Wednesday morning, which he was subsequently late for work on that day, which it does cause um, some concern for me, if I'm honest. But again, you know, when you look at the evidence, originally you think, oh, this guy's definitely good for it. But when you break it down and look at the maggot and you think, well, that's there's problems with the maggot, there's problems with the blood. Um, there's problems with the tire tracks, uh, there's problems with the sightings, then all of a sudden it doesn't seem so good anymore. So yeah, I, I have some concerns, but I'm also undecided yet. So that's where I'm at. No worries. Hopefully we can come to, um, we can get to the bottom of it, Jamie. Yeah. Jamie, I, I have an update regarding the QCAT proceedings for the listeners they may be interested in. In summary, the QCAT is the Queensland Civil Administration Tribunal where these matters are uh, held. Graham Stafford's defence team have been trying to obtain the police review for some five years, as we've uh, mentioned earlier, and uh, the Queensland Police have vigorously defended that. In the Supreme Court in October 2019, the presiding judge told the Queensland Police in no uncertain terms they had no grounds whatsoever to withhold the release of the review. And um, Queensland Police actually withdrew their application to block the release. I've now been informed that Queensland Police have again objected to the release of the review using different grounds for their objection. So the stalling tactics continue. Last time, it took three years for QCAT to give a direction that the Queensland Police should release the review. Let's hope we don't have to wait a similar period of time for QCAT to give another direction. The standard is three months. The situation is they promise to hold a fair, unbiased and impartial review, yet they don't want anyone reading the review. So just for people who don't know, including myself, when would a QCAT um, court proceeding be relevant? Like, is it for all cases or just some or what, what's the go with it? Well, it, if you want to take a matter to QCAT, that's when it becomes relevant. Uh in this case, the defence applied for the review under Freedom of Information and uh, it was refused. So in that case, then you have a right of appeal to QCAT. They won the QCAT hearing after three years. The police appealed again and it went, then went to the Supreme Court. And as I said, the Supreme Court gave the QPS a shellacking advising them they had no grounds to block the appeal. And so now they've come up with another ground to uh, object to the uh, release. Okay. And just some other follow-up that we're pursuing for the interest of the listeners. Leanne's body was found in a floral skirt and police stated that uh, she had changed her dress to the floral skirt before being killed and the ownership of that skirt was never determined. The family of uh, the person we call pedophile Pete believes the skirt belonged to one of his daughters. We have shown photos of the skirt to the family and we're still trying to confirm that. And obviously it begs the question that if it is confirmed, how did Leanne end up being found dead in it? You know, it also raises a question too. She supposedly, according to the police scenario, comes back from the... um, the shop's at 10.15 and that's the last confirmed sighting on the Monday morning. Why would she change her skirt just to be murdered? It's just bizarre. 
And also the Commonwealth Bank puts it alive at at least 11.05am. Yeah, well, that's another story, isn't it? Welcome, Joe Crowley, to Who Killed Leanne Holland, Chapter 8. Hi, Graham. Thank you. Good to be here. Joe, um, as we previously explained, but for those who missed it, you're a criminal barrister and first became involved in this case around 2006 and have been working on it since then, pro bono. Is is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I was working at um, Bond Juni, doing some teaching, uh, as well as practising in criminal law and I was asked by one of the other academics who had a, an involvement in the case to help them get it back into the court. Yeah, and I, I've been working on it since then. Joe, do you think the conviction of Graham Stafford is a miscarriage of justice? Uh, yes, I do, demonstrably so. Would you say it's Australia's biggest miscarriage of justice? <laughs> no, I probably wouldn't say it's Australia's biggest miscarriage of justice. The, obviously the case of Lindy Chamberlain comes to mind um, the case of Andrew Mallard comes to mind in Western Australia and also in Western Australia, the Mickelberg brothers. They're cases where um, it has been proved demonstrably that there was um, police misconduct and prosecutorial misconduct and that the scientific evidence used, particularly in the Chamberlain case, was very suspect. So, I um, mean, those cases I think probably at this stage have a... Um, a better claim to Australia's greatest miscarriage of justice because in this, in the Stafford case we haven't seen any kind of uh, investigation into um, how his original conviction was um, so flawed. Are you surprised that after 29 years this matter hasn't been rectified? I, I am surprised, yes, and a, and a little um, saddened because, I mean, the three cases that I had mentioned um, – uh, particularly the case of uh, Andrew Mallard and Lindy Chamberlain, both of them ended up with inquiries, the Royal Commission in the Chamberlain case and a, um, a Crime and Misconduct Commission hearing, I think, for the Mallard case, which helped um, unearth some of the um, institutional problems that had caused those convictions. Uh, and, and Queensland, I'm sorry to say, is... Um, seems to be really reluctant, well, just with the Stafford case, uh, in having any kind of um, inquiry into what went on. It has, over the recent years, we've had announcements of inquiries into a number of historic cases. Oh, the Whiskey A Go-Go fire, uh, they're having an inquiry into that 40-odd years after um, that occurred, a number of years after... Daniel Morecambe went missing. They had uh, a, an inquiry, a, a coronial inquest into that, which helped identify a number of the problems with the police investigation. But, uh, yeah, the unfortunately successive attorneys general have been very reluctant to um, order any kind of inquiry or, um, or coronial inquest into the Stafford case. Just for those listeners who aren't aware of those cases, you mentioned Lindy Chamberlain, um, perhaps is world famous as regards to the um, the dingo and the baby at Ayers Rock in about 1982. Andrew Mallard was a man in Perth, Western Australia, who was convicted of a murder from a, a woman in a jewellery shop or something like that, eh? Yes, correct, yeah. And then found, uh, he served, I think he served about 12 years before they found, um, through DNA, the, the offender. They found the offender through, um, it was actually the um, a similarity, the offender had used a, a homemade weapon to um, inflict the injuries on uh, the victim 
uh, who Andrew Mallard was convicted of, but also um, another victim. And so the offender was actually in jail um, at the time. They worked out he was he'd probably killed two people, not just one. And sadly, um, Andrew Mallard was killed in the USA in the last six months or so in a in a hit and run um, motor vehicle accident. Yeah, unbelievably, unbelievably, he had, he had terrible luck, Andrew Mallard. Jamie and I have both stated Graham Stafford didn't get a fair trial. I, I think that's a given, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, and the unfairness, I think, came because uh, information that the jury heard uh, in a number of cases was incorrect, uh, and then the jury didn't hear other information which they probably needed to hear to make a proper finding. His appeal was eventually quashed, right? Correct. Do you think they should have gone further and entered a verdict of not guilty? Yes, I, I am sorry that they didn't. Well, in fact, one of the judges did. So Justice Holmes, as she then was, um, she's now the Chief Justice, she said that the conviction should be quashed and um, uh, that he should be acquitted. So a verdict of not guilty entered. The She was in the minority. Um, Justices Keane and Fraser agreed that the conviction should be quashed because that the um, trial had been unfair, but they recommended that he be retried. Um, but unfortunately, the um, Director of Public Prosecutions uh, declined um, that recommendation by the court. So technically, he's in legal limbo at the moment. Is that, is that a fair description? Yes, he is in legal limbo. There um, is an indictment for murder that is currently uh, in a file in the um, Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions, which could be re-enlivened at any time against him. Uh, and he's certainly been publicly accused by um, the uh, Commissioner of Police um, as being the only suspect. In the story so far, you have heard the Crown evidence debunked. Graham asked Joe which piece of the evidence was most wrong and did the most damage. Uh, I would say it's the um, opportunity evidence. So obviously a person can't be guilty of a crime if they have no opportunity to um, commit that crime. And one of the things which I found um, startling when I was researching the case is the amount of evidence there was to demonstrate what Graham Stafford was doing on uh, the Monday when on the prosecution case he was supposed to be committing a brutal murder. That's right. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with you. In the case of the window of opportunity, he just, in my mind, he just didn't have any time to commit that murder. No, that's true. And uh, I, I, I've listened to a couple of the episodes so far, and I note that you and Jamie have been talking about the idea of um, when the murder occurred in the morning. But that isn't how the case was put to the jury. Uh, the case put to the jury was that the murder occurred in the afternoon. Um, and the prosecution re-engineered the case to be it, uh, you know, happened in the morning. The murder happened in the morning because, uh, you know, in two thousand and nine, when we were um, standing in the appeal, they started to suggest to the court that um, there was an opportunity for the murder to have been committed in, in the morning. And we, as the defence at that point, hadn't really prepared to argue that because we were assuming that their case was going to be as they had put it to the jury. Um, so this discussion about the murder occurring in the morning is really not something that um, was ever, you know, in the original investigation or, or before the original jury. This has been quite the legal journey, hasn't it, Joe? Conviction for murder in the Supreme Court of Queensland to the Queensland Court of Appeal three times, 
to the High Court of Australia two times, making Australian legal history along the way, a petition for a pardon to the Queensland Governor two times, a police review, and now in the Queensland Administrative Tribunal Court for over five years. Would you say it's unusual for a case to have so many appeals and petitions? Yes, it is very unusual. It's not unusual. It's not unusual to be Totally inappropriate, I know. But that song came to my head as I was editing it. So there you go. It's not unusual in miscarriage of justice cases for um, for accused persons to have two appeals or three appeals um, before they have a conviction overturned or perhaps um, have a petition of pardon as well. I mean, Lindy Chamberlain had um, two appeals and her conviction was only overturned after new evidence came to light and a Royal Commission was ordered. Andrew Mallard had two appeals and then one or two special leave appeals to the High Court as well and one pardon petition. Um, and certainly the Mickelberg brothers have had, an, had a number of appeals over in Western Australia. Um, but uh, Graham Stafford having um, three appeals uh, to the Court of Appeal and two special leave applications to the High Court and two pardon petitions um, certainly m- puts it up there as um, one of the most litigated miscarriage of justice in the country. The Mickelberg brothers, uh, refresh my memory, is that to do with a gold robbery? Uh, the Perth Mint Swindle is what it's called. Um, yes, they were um, charged with trying to defraud the Perth Mint uh, and they always claimed that their um, confessions were fabricated and uh, they were convicted and went to jail. And it wasn't until years later that the um, notoriously corrupt police officer who had faked their confessions, he died and then one of the other officers on who was investigating the case admitted that, in fact, the Mickelberg brothers had been correct all the time and that their confessions were not true confessions. Uh, But that uh, they spent a number of years in jail and um, received very little compensation, yeah. Is it possible the Queensland police actually got it right in the Stafford case? No, it's not. Um, is it possible that Graham Stafford's the murder? Yes, of course, that's possible. Have I seen any evidence to demonstrate that? No, I haven't. Uh, has anything the police, uh, Queensland police have overturned, does anything point to him being the murder? Almost nothing. I think you've spoken already about the um, some blood on items in the boot. That would be the only evidence which... Uh, you know, would point to any kind of involvement of Graham Stafford in the murder. But uh, there's problems with that as well, just in terms of um, how the item, the blood got on the items in the boot of the car, because uh, the evidence is that the body of Leon Holland was never put in the boot of his car. So I'm not sure how relevant um, some tiny spots of blood are on removable items in the boot really is. That actually leads me to the next question. Can you detail for me the evidence that implicates Graham Stafford in, in the murder? Uh, well, that's it, <laughs> as far as I recall. And as I pointed out, the you know the, the fact that he has no opportunity to commit the murder really is a huge problem that first needs to be overcome. If somebody doesn't have an opportunity, they can't commit it. It doesn't matter what the other evidence is. So assuming that he has opportunity, which he doesn't, then the blood in the boot, on, on specks of blood on some items in the boot is the only other evidence, I think, that would in, implicate him. But you, you can't string that, you can't, you know, turn that into any kind of a case. It's a piece of circumstantial evidence which needs to be added to other pieces of circumstantial evidence before you can decide um, that he's guilty. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Can we talk about the police review report? Yes. Do you know why they are so vigorously uh, fighting the release of that report? Or can you suggest why? Uh, look, I don't know why. Um, I, I'm, I'd be having a guess at why. My guess would be um, that they know the weaknesses in the report and they know those weaknesses because that report was sent across to the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions with a recommendation from the police that Graham Stafford be re-prosecuted and the prosecutors have declined. Now, the prosecutors are the people who have to stand up in court and present the evidence, the new evidence that the, that has been revealed in the review. And, uh, you know, lawyers don't like um, standing up in court and presenting um, a case that is fundamentally flawed because just from a personal point of view, it's very embarrassing to do that. But certainly the prosecutors are um, the, are supposed to be the model litigant, so they have a, a role to play in only prosecuting uh, cases where there is um, sufficient cogent evidence uh, to demonstrate somebody's guilt. And I think it is telling that um, the Director of Public Prosecutions declined, even after seeing the reinvestigation report, to run another trial. Now, I have to um, obviously for completeness say that the Director of Public Prosecutions said that there was no public interest in having a retrial because that Graham had Stafford had served his sentence. That was the reason that they have proffered. And uh, I mean, there is some force in that argument because if he was convicted after a retrial, it would be unlikely he would go back to jail and serve any more time. And that I think was the point that the director was making. But having said that, uh, it is a high-profile case, and it, uh, if they had re-prosecuted Graham and succeeded, it would certainly put to bed any uh, any arguments uh, that have been raised about him not being guilty, and they've chosen not to do that. So I think that, you know, <laughs> even armed with the new evidence, they've declined uh, that challenge. So I think that um, tells you... Well, it provides some evidence as to the um, motives of the Queensland Police not to... Um, release the reinvestigation report. In 2016, as you know, the police review report was illegally and unlawfully leaked to a commercial television station, which used it for commercial purposes. And uh, Channel 7 gave you a look at the review, didn't they? Yes, they did. So I, um, uh, along with you and Graham Stafford, took part in uh, the Channel 7 TV show. And after I was interviewed and asked questions about um, the reinvestigation report, um, which I hadn't seen, but they had provided me a copy of the executive summary, which I read, uh, and then they questioned me on it. After that interview, I was then invited by uh, one of the journalists at Channel 7 uh, to look at the the complete 500-page report. And so I went up to Channel 7 uh, one afternoon and spent a couple of hours flicking through that report. Um, I Obviously, it's 500 pages and um, I'm not that fast at reading, but I, I looked at the index and then and delved into um, as quickly as I could 
the aspects of the report that um, sort of jumped out at me, and most of that was just the new evidence, in inverted commas, that the um, police had uncovered. You didn't see any significant new evidence there? Uh, if by significant you meant uh, that convinced me of Graham's Stafford's guilt, no, I did not. I did see um, new evidence, yeah, absolutely, and the um, Queensland Police had obviously gone to a lot of trouble to um, try and um, resuscitate their original theory of the case, which is that Graham Stafford committed the murder in the house, in fact, in the bathroom of the house at Alice Street, and that he put the body in the boot of the car for almost two days before dumping it on Wednesday morning out um, in Red Bank Plains. Looking at the scientific evidence that they'd produced, looking at the new DNA evidence they'd found, I, I was not convinced it was all it was all pretty weak as far as I was concerned. And they've moved away from the hair dye, haven't they? And now they're apparently um, going down the track of bleaching. Yeah, the the hair dyeing was strange. I mean, the the um, prosecutor at the trial had already abandoned the um, theory of the hair being dyed, and it was only raised because the defence counsel um, raised it. Uh, and there was really no evidence that the hair was dyed. But the um, police have subsequently gone and found a scientist to examine the um, hair uh, sample, which existed um, certainly as at a couple of years ago, uh, and that scientist has come back with some evidence suggesting that the hair was bleached. But notably, that scientist couldn't say when the hair was bleached. So the bleaching of the hair would only be relevant um, if they could identify that it occurred uh, on the Monday um, and therefore, um, you know, supported the Crown's original theory of the case. If, if um, Leanne had bleached her hair any other time, it's all pretty irrelevant to um, proving Graham Stafford's a murderer. But her hair was blonde anyway at the time of her death, so I don't understand it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the whole bleaching, uh, sorry, the whole hair colouring theory emerged because when her body was found, her hair seemed to be an auburn colour um, and it was initially suggested that that was a dye that had been put through, but the um, the colour washed out when the forensic pathologist washed the hair sample um, and concluded that it was just blood. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where or why this the bleaching theory um, has a- arrived, but the police endeavouring to you know re-engineer their case um, is something I'm sorry to say that's occurred a few times in the history of the Graham Stafford prosecution. Do you recall any evidence in the police review regarding the time of death? Yes, I do recall that. They had gone and got some further entomological evidence, so evidence from a scientist who um, is an expert in um, insects, particularly um, maggots and the growth rate of maggots, and that is how they have established the the time of death. In the petition of pardon and in the 2009 appeal, we had presented some new entomological evidence which further called into question the time of death evidence that was led at trial. Uh, the police review has, I think, gone back to that scientist that we use, but then other scientists as well, um, and provided them, I think, from recollection, with fur- further or new temperature uh, estimates um, of uh, for the three days between when they say the murder occurred and when uh, they say the body was dumped and had the scientists um, redo some calculations. And I think they have gone back to a murder occurring on Monday. 
uh, in the e- in the afternoon, I think. But I mean, the temperature. The original entomological evidence was that the estimate was from sort of four o'clock to six o'clock on Monday afternoon. Well, that's that's already outside the the opportunity that Graham has. So even on their original case, I don't think they had uh, a decent. Um, uh, their, their, their own time of evidence didn't really even support their own case. Well, in Bob Atkinson's uh, media release in 2012, he stated that uh, the time of death was on or about Monday the 23rd. So even then they're talking about just the Monday. They didn't uh, specify a time, but but then went on to say that the last confirmed sighting was 10.15am and therefore he had ample opportunity Yes, the, the the last confirmed sighting uh, of ten fifteen that um, you've talked about that I know um, in some of the earlier episodes. Justice Keane in the two thousand and nine decision he looked at uh, some of the other sightings because we had um, argued or pointed out to the court that there were later sightings. Um, eyewitness um, testimony of of um, sightings. There's some quite particular law around that, and the law is very conservative in the way it approaches whether it'll accept um, sightings or not. And Justice Keane, in his decision, um, says that the 1015 sighting is the um, last and most reliable. Um, I, in my view, I think Justice Keane was a bit hard uh, uh, on that on the defence because some of the other sightings were from people who knew Leanne Holland well. Um, the sighting of her in the old car at the shops, um, uh, the uh, the sighting of her going past um, one of the other pubs, uh, I think on Monday night, you know, from one of the um, publicans who knew her well. They're, I think, at law quite reliable sightings, but I accept that Justice Keane looked at those and said, at law, the most reliable last sighting is the 10.15am sighting. After the police media conference in 2012, I was of the opinion the matter was closed. In fact, if you Google uh, the case, uh, the media says uh, case closed. Everything on the internet is case closed. Was that your opinion that after that uh, review it was case closed? Uh, well, not not my opinion, no, because as far as I was concerned, the um, the review actually opens, asks, creates more questions than it um, than it answers. Yeah. Um, and having seen it now, I, I think that uh, that even more so that just. You know the the way they have sort of tortured the uh, evidence to try and continue this uh, fiction that Graham Stafford murdered Leanne Holland on the Monday in the house. It really just it re, in my opinion just creates more questions than it answers. Uh, from the police point of view, it was the case closed. Yeah, I certainly understood that from the police's point of view, it was the case closed. Here's former police commissioner Ian Stewart speaking at the media conference at the conclusion of the police review into the Stafford case. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Is everyone ready? Thank you. Uh, The Queensland Police Service has closed its investigation into the murder of Leanne Holland following a review of the case that supported the initial case against Mr Graham Stafford. Because recently I contacted the Queensland Police regarding the whereabouts of some exhibits and uh, they declined to provide any information at all and stated the matter was ongoing, which totally blew me away. 
Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, jumped out at me when I looked at the reinvestigation report is it, it identified that there had actually been an internal review of the Stafford case by the Queensland Police, I think in the in the um, late 90s after the, um, the unsuccessful appeal by him in 97, the police had then done a, themselves an internal review which they'd told nobody about. Uh, so it does seem that the um, Queensland Police are willing to open uh, and reinvestigate this case, uh, whether they announce that to the world or not. If you remember, we told you Vichelle Laxman was a former police prosecutor who refused to prosecute Graham Stafford for the murder of Leanne Holland. And this was the only case he ever refused to prosecute. Graham asked Joe if he was surprised to hear this. I, I was very surprised to hear that. Yeah, that came as a, a, a bolt from the blue, um, you know, appearing on the front page of the Australian newspaper one morning. Um, I mean, it was fantastic to hear because finally it was somebody who wasn't um, part of a defence team but was in fact in fact part of the prosecution team saying that the there was some weaknesses with the case. I uh, And if, if um, Mr Lashman hadn't come forward, the... I don't think the Queensland Police would have done the uh, reinvestigation or the review. That certainly was the, the the turning point because up to that point, even after we'd had the conviction quashed, they had refused to reinvestigate. So it was it was um, yeah fantastic news um, for Graham Stafford and his supporters. Have you heard of that happening before? I have not. No, I don't uh, know of a case where somebody who was a prosecutor has come out and. Um, uh, said that they had originally thought that there was um, some significant problems with the case. You know, occasionally you'll get police officers who come out years later and say that they felt there was some problems in the investigation and uh, the Mickelberg case I spoke about earlier is an example of that. But, yeah, it was, um, it, yes, I haven't heard that before, no. Does that have any implications for the DPP? Probably not. I mean, in a legal sense, they're an independent body and they're, the decisions that they make are not able to be reviewed uh, and not able to be appealed. So um, the fact that uh, one of their prosecutors recommended to the director that a matter not, a prosecution not proceed um, is not something that any, and the director ignored that um, advice, uh, is not something that could be reviewed or appealed. And uh, it, in, to some extent, the, I'm sure the, uh, the prosecution felt justified after they got a conviction in, um, in the Stafford case. They felt they probably made the right decision. They're, as I say, because they're legally unable to be challenged, then, um, yeah, I don't think uh, there's much, that can, not much legally that turns on that. Did they have any legal obligation to do something about that letter from Vichelle Laxman, for example, inform the defence? Uh, no, I don't think they had a, a – well, sorry, they have a statutory obligation and so under that uh, – under the statute, uh, you know, they would have an obligation to, um, uh, you know, turn their mind to the um, issues raised by Mr Lashman and I'm sure they did turn their mind to those things. Uh, they just decided that the matter should proceed and – and Graham Stafford be prosecuted because, you know, the I'm sure the prosecutors feel comforted by the fact that he, presumably innocent people will be acquitted by juries so that, you know, in some sense, you know, the if a, if a person is convicted, then they prosecutors will feel that their decision to prosecute was justified. So we have the case that we've got the DPP prosecutor Laxman 
We've got the Queensland Government scientist Freeney. We've got one Crown entomologist adjusting the preferred time of death to Tuesday. We have another Crown entomologist informing the DPP their evidence regarding the maggot was scientifically impossible. And these are all Crown people. It's not the case where you've got the experts on the Crown side saying one thing and experts on the defence side saying another, as so frequently happens in big cases. Experts agreeing to disagree, I guess. But here we have the Crown experts telling the Crown they got it wrong. And yet the police continue to insist they got their men. What's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, there is a, a, a confirmation bias, I think, in well, all aspects of life, but um, I'm sure the police and uh, are no different from everybody else. They make a particular decision. They stick to that decision. I think that it's the correct decision. I mean, and it's a pity that uh, they haven't looked more closely at the reasoning behind some of the decisions. I mean, I, I don't, I've never been an investigator, but I presume that it doesn't go all your way. Every piece of evidence you find doesn't support that your theory of the case that a given person is the um, is the the killer. But what should happen is that all those pieces of evidence, whether they support your case or not, um, should be put before a jury so the jury can then make the decision as to guilt or innocence. You know, as opposed to just ignoring some unhelpful pieces of evidence and not putting them forward or not at least giving them to the defence so that the defence can make a decision as to whether they put them before the jury or not. You've heard us mention many times before, there's never been a coronal inquest into the death of Leanne Holland. So Graham asked Joe whether he thinks it's important to have a coronal inquest into Leanne's murder. Well, some kind of inquest. Uh, the most um, obvious is probably a coronial inquest because there is now an unexplained death. Leanne Holland is dead uh, and there is nobody who has been uh, guilty of that murder at law because Graham Stafford's conviction was quashed. Uh, and in those circumstances, it would be appropriate, I think, for a coroner to inquire into the matter. But but there are a number of things that the government could do if they wanted. They could have a, a commission of inquiry. They could have a royal commission. The Probably the cheapest and the easiest would just be to announce that um, the matter is going to be inquired into by a coroner. Thanks for talking with us on the podcast today, Joe. Your comments and answers have furthered our understanding and knowledge of this case considerably. So that's it for Chapter 8 of Who Killed Leanne Holland. Please join us again next time for Chapter 9, Media Storm. We talk to several journalists who have personally been involved in this case, or at least have a good knowledge of it. Greg Carey, formerly of the radio station 4BC, gives us his thoughts on the case after covering it on his talkback program for a number of years. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. It was recorded, edited, and theme song by Jamie Poults. It was mixed and mastered by Alex Rotier at Paperbark Studios. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats, and you can find him on SoundCloud or Instagram or Spotify. Just look for at Bubba Beats. If you like any of the sounds that you hear and you are a podcaster looking to make a true crime podcast, then you can purchase his sounds. All the links will be in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanneholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 